Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, welcome. It's episode 45 and part two <laughs> of this series of the Alien hybrid agenda. It's Stephen Diener right here and Karen Curtis over he- over there on another episode of UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Karen, how are you? I am recovering from a horrible bout oh, no. of a lack of potassium. Oh, geez. Yeah, potassium as we're going to listen to a woman with a British accent in a moment. Yeah, she does have a very distinguished accent. You you must stay on top of your electrolytes. That's all I have to say. Are you feeling okay? I feel much better now. All right, good. Yes. Do we need to, to stop recording? Are you okay? I was lightheaded and throwing up, and now <laughs> oh, I'm fine. I, sh- I thought it was After just this episode. After a visit to the hospital. <laughs> okay. I was afraid it was the episode that was making you sick, so I'm glad. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's nothing to do with that. No. Well, this is, this really is a wild one today, so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um... This isn't, you know, we we have a lot of different feels when it comes to different episodes that we've done. And, you know, sometimes it's really, really deep and thought-provoking. Sometimes it's kind of like lighthearted. Sometimes it's like, holy cow, did that really happen? This is like a little bit of everything. It is. I think for this, this yeah. woman, Elizabeth Clark, who you're going to hear about here today, and really her story, her first-hand account of, of a love affair that she had with an alien, which produced a love child. So and she's no schlub. No, you're going to hear about her background, too. And the, it's she, unbelievable. It's quite a story. We're going to get into it as soon as we do our factoid. You have a factoid, Karen, for I do. today. Oh, it's good. a really big week in astrology, or astronomy, should I say. Mm-hmm. A rare planetary alignment phenomenon is happening this week. I'm so excited for this. Gracing the night sky. So apparently Mercury, which is to our west. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> it's closer to the sun, right? <laughs> and then you got us, and then Venus, and then Mars, and then Jupiter. So I guess we all align along with Saturn in an order. How could they be out of order, though? Well... Anyway, <laughs> starting Friday, and this hasn't happened since 2004. Unbelievable. Yes. So cool. And isn't it funny how 2004 sounds like such a long time ago now? Yes. That's actually when I graduated high school. Shut up. <laughs> you make it, now I'm sick again. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I have to go back to the hospital. <laughs> no, but uh, it's interesting because it's we're recording this on June 7th, a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So this will happen on Friday. Right. And stargazers will have a clear view of the eastern horizon and you can spot the five planet alignment. And Mercury, as June goes forward, will grow much easier to see with the naked eye throughout the month of June. That's cool because Mercury is hard to see. You don't normally get to see Mercury. A lot of times it's kind of like lower to the horizon, number one and number two. It's very faint. It's a small planet. Um, so it's, you know, kind of gets overshadowed sometimes by Venus because Venus. Venus is so bright. Well, Venus is the number one thing in the sky that is misconstrued as a UFO. I Remember, see we Venus, had that factoid a long yes, time ago. We get it. We, we come into it like the, sh- ships red green in the sky. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And we see Venus every morning, you and I, because we come in very, very early in the morning every day. And so every morning when I leave the house, I look up and I'm looking there at you know, the constellations and the planets and the stars and there is Venus and it's so bright. I honestly think I have to stop. I'm like, is it moving? Is it an airplane? But it ends up being Venus. So that's going to be really cool this weekend. Look yep. out for that. The planetary alignment. What? Like 30 minutes before sunrise is the best time to see it. That's right. So that, that's it's a rare occurrence. And if you're listening to our podcast anywhere else in the world other than in Florida, sometimes your night sky is going to be a lot brighter with more stars because you don't have a big city near mm-hmm. you. So, it, you know, everyone's sky is different. That's true. But, yeah, so, I mean, try to see it if you can. If you live in a big city, try to go to, a, you know, more of a remote area. It's, that's a fun thing to see. Take the kids, take the telescope, have a good time. Now, are you ready, Karen? I am. We're going to move on to another hybrid account of aliens and humans and i hate to say it so flippantly like oh just another account because we're telling you with this one it's not just like another run-of-the-mill abduction story because in all honesty this story here that we're going to go over in our 45th episode of this podcast and part two of this series this story 
is one of the most fascinating. And if it's all true, because again, we always just present you with the details. You make up your own mind of what you think might be true or not. If it is all true, it's one of the most revealing and really kind of earth-shattering alien encounter stories of all time. Yeah, I mean, she is so sober and just so... The way she talks about her experience, it just trips off her tongue like it's a memory, like it really happened. It's not like she's making it up as she goes. There's no stuttering. There's no No. ands or ums and pauses, you know, thinking back. It's just, like you said, it's very fluid. It is very fluid. And you had pointed out last week that this is almost like the... Aliens are trying to create their own race Mm -hmm. by combining humans with aliens. Their own species, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's kind of interesting because she says she gave birth to one such being. Yeah, an alien love child. So what you're going to hear today is the story of Elizabeth Clara, and we have her fortunate enough to to find a lot of this audio from an interview that she did because she's no longer with us. She died in the early 90s. Yeah, but um, she has a book and it's becoming, or it became a movie in 2010 did, or 2021. Uh, yeah, I think just last year. So we're going to tell you about all that, but this is Elizabeth Clara. You're going to hear it in her own words. A lot of these accounts talking about her interactions with an alien. Also, I won't give too much away, but I just want to let you know some of this, the audio that you're going to hear. Again, this was taken in the 80s, so it's it's older. I know the 80s, it sounds like it's funny, it's so well, long ago. Well, I but boosted it and worked my magic, so the, I know you did. pretty much the audio we have now... Um, we try to make it sound as clean as yeah, possible, is yeah. what I want to tell you, because it might sound a little grainy, but we, we did our best with it. It's an older interview, but it was I thought it was important to oh, get no, her in is. her own words. Definitely. So. We'll start off with the story of Elizabeth Clark right here. According to Clark in her autobiography, she was abducted by a member of an alien race from the Alpha Centauri system. During her abduction, Clara met a rather dashing alien named Akon, and the pair fell in love. After a brief courtship, Clara later claimed she gave birth to a hybrid child who was taken back to the planet Meton to be educated in the ways of the universe. All right, so that is the the Cliff Notes version of what we're going to get into here today. I just wanted to set the table there for you. Um, because there's a lot to unwrap there. Your head's probably spinning already like, wait, what? What are they talking about? <laughs> a planet called Meton? Yeah. What is happening? So there's a lot of information to add and a lot to unwrap, really, because, again, it's kind of just like an introduction to this incredible tale. It's a story that's so fascinating and so incredibly detailed that Elizabeth wrote an entire autobiography, which you mentioned, Karen. Yeah. It's called Beyond the Light Barrier. Right. And it was made into a movie last year, like you were saying. So... I want to make sure that you are strapped in tight for this one because it's there's a lot going on here. Now, that said, let's begin with Elizabeth's first sighting of a UFO. So we're going to go all the way back to just like when we spoke about Jesse Long last week and his abduction story, which was very different. Yeah, but I, it's similar in one way I want to point out. Yeah. Both Jesse Long and his brother mm-hmm. experienced the abduction, and in this first encounter that she has with an alien Elizabeth's sister is there that's correct that's right so again another sibling case here and also very similar here Karen their ages Jesse Long when we spoke about him last week on episode 44 in his first alien encounter he was a child remember that's when he had the implant in his shin and didn't get taken out for over 30 years if you didn't hear that episode you it doesn't you don't need to worry about you know missing something for part two it's just this is kind of a series of a you know, same type of events. So it's not like you're going to be like, oh, I'm so confused on this one. But by all means, go back and listen to part one of this uh, this series. And you'll hear Jesse Long's, like I said, very different account. His is more terrifying, uh, oh, violating. Yeah. Oh, I mean, gosh. it was and he pretty had to awful, be, actually. he had to be regressed to remember his experience. That's right. And she remembers it, no problem. Just off the top of her head. So again, small child was like Jesse Long when she had her first case of alien encounter in her native South Africa, actually, is where she's from, right. rather than Jesse Long in you know, the United States. And it's this is a little long here from Elizabeth, but again, in her own words, this is the first clip you're going to hear from her talking about her first alien encounter as a child. I think she was seven. Yeah. I was seven years old, and my sister and I were feeding the puppies in the stable yard at the time. And the sun had just set beyond over the Drakensberg, but it was still very light because it was summertime. And uh, this enormous craft 
came across quite horizontally across the sky and it was as big, as big almost as a football and it was quite beautiful it was about the size and it shone with a blue white light and of course I was thrilled to bits and I knew exactly I knew something was there and um, my sister's face was one of absolute fright really and the puppies got a fright they ran yelping into the kennel and then immediately of course we ran for the house so much detail and you're going to notice that in, in the clips that we play of her and she's not afraid no right so she wasn't afraid so she's receptive and yes. maybe they understand this and her sister was the afraid right, one right. the dogs ran away <laughs> and again the the common denominator here in some of these stories not only forget about the two stories you know last week with jesse long and here today with with elizabeth clark think about all all of the alien encounter or abduction stories that we've done over the series of episodes of this entire podcast, it always goes back to age. Even with the celebrity encounters that we did, I think it's episode 39, yes. I think, if you want to go back and listen to that, um, with Elvis. I mean, we talk about his encounters, and that first happened to him as a child. So many times we hear of these stories, and it always goes back to started as a child. My first, I was five, I was seven, I was eight, I was ten, whatever it might be. Also the description of the craft, the blue light, the blue white light, the same beautiful, you know, light that comes yes. from the craft. It's always the same. And you could always go back. I keep saying, oh, go back and listen. Well, how do you do that? So Apple, Spotify, 850WFTL.com. The podcast lives there as well. If you go to the podcast section and click on UAP, there's many ways to, to get the podcast. If you just started listening, you could always go back and uh, consume the other ones at your leisure. Also yeah, on podcast each, one. Each is fully contained, so yes. you don't have to be in chronological order. Right. Don't feel. But in some weird way, they're all related. Isn't and that there's funny? a thread that goes through <laughs> all of them. So, you know. There is. There really is a thread. You can start that on this one and go back or whatever you want to do. Like this connects to episode 24 somehow just because that's the way these stories, they intertwine and that's always one of the things I find fascinating is we don't mean to connect a lot of different episodes but when you come across details from a person in the 1950s and then a person in 2010, you're like, wait, how do they have the same account of something? It's a bit (laughs) reassuring and validating, I think. It is and there's actually a lot of validating things from Elizabeth Clark's descriptions that we're going to get into Throughout the episode. So if you've been listening to the show for a bit now, then you know that we always like to show credibility with those who we're referring to, especially when it comes to abduction stories or close encounters. Not saying, you know, no offense to Farmer Joe in the cornfields and saying that he doesn't have credibility because we're not saying that. But someone like, you know, a pilot or a witness who has a background in law enforcement or military surely adds some type of, you know, a stronger sense of believability. Yes. Because they're in a field... That's, you know, you have to have some not type of clout. Field, yeah, not exactly. in a cornfield. Yeah, exactly. A different type of field. Right. That's right. So Scientific field. Yeah. So there is a sense of, you know, a stronger sense of believability that comes with somebody in those backgrounds. So unless you think Elizabeth is, and it's, um, her last name is Clarer, K-L-A-R-E-R. Right. Clarer. Um, she's no schlub, okay? Right. She has she, a lot going on. <laughs> she's really, really smart. She went to Cambridge for four years. Cambridge is like... Oxford, England, you know, I mean, it's like yeah. mate, you have to be like really smart to get in there. And she studied meteorology for four years. How do you like that? So she knows about weather systems. Uh, and, yeah. And she would know if it was swamp gas or weather phenomenon instead Thank of a UFO. Not only that, she served in the military. Ah. I was in Air Force, South African Air Force Intelligence, and I was seconded to the Royal Air Force. And that was after we had been my first husband, of course, I mentioned before, was a very brilliant test pilot and we were stationed at the Havilands at Hatfield in England and there we did a lot of research and particularly in a certain aircraft which we codenamed TK-4 which of course turned out to be the Spitfire with the Rolls-Royce engine. Wow. She even knows the kind of engine. That's right. The Spitfire. So her husband and she both pilots and they both see a UFO later in life right? So they're both pilots, right. just like the Nimitz guys. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And again, this is happening in the 50s right? when, you know, she starts seeing these, these different things. Well, actually, later on, I mean, she started seeing these things as a child in the 30s, really, when when she was, you know, 
first around and seeing these things as a little kid. But, you know, again, you're talking about her her first husband there. He was the pilot. She went up in many flights with him. He was a so, test pilot. A test pilot. So she was had a background not only in military, not only in meteorology, very smart going to Cambridge, but she also had a background in flight. I mean, she was used to aviation and avionics and Jaeger, knowing these things. Was, Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager. He's yeah, like a right. Chuck Yeager of uh, South Africa. Yeah. Or England. So, a lot of clout here. This is the reason why we wanted to bring those things up. Yes. We wanted to build up Elizabeth Clark's background to you to tell you that, again, no offense to Farmer Joe in the cornfields, but she isn't that. She has a lot or had a lot going for her in her knowledge of, you know, really things in the sky. <laughs> And so there's avionics. You can you can take her word for it. I guess is what we're trying to say. Yeah, because yeah. yep. uh, she could tell the difference between an airplane and UFO. I mean, let's face big it. Big time. Yes. It was a little confusing to me. She says it was a big craft, but it was the size of a football. So I'm like, I didn't quite understand. I think she's talking about in perspective. The distance, yeah, in the yeah. Right, and and there's a lot. Just for full disclosure here, there was a lot in this interview. It was an old interview done in uh, England back in the 80s. And we sifted through an hour. This interview is an hour long, okay? And we sifted through a lot of it. We can't play the entire thing for you. Some of it is kind of hard to understand. Some of it kind of gets a little bouncy with the sound because it's an older interview. But Overmodulated, what, really yeah, annoying. Yeah, so what we did here was we took a lot of the main points so we could tell you her entire story. Um, so again, we're not going to play every single clip from an hour-long interview. It's just it would, be, it would be way too much. But according to Elizabeth, her sightings began to become more frequent starting in the mid-1950s. She describes seeing like the classic UFO flying disc shape, you know, like the flying saucer that they reported in Roswell 1947. That's what she was seeing. Right. And it emitted what she called the white and blue light, which yeah. I found interesting. But again, remember, she and her husband, both pilots, so mm-hmm. they knew the difference between an airplane and a UFO. Exactly. There was this enormous craft pacing beside us. Enormous hull, completely circular, with a flattish dome in the middle. A complete flying saucer. And beneath it were the most beautiful colors of spectrum that were coming from under the craft. Then suddenly, it simply shot up into the sky in a great burst of white light and it was gone completely. Mm. So she's flying, be- she's in a passenger behind her husband who's flying the plane. Right. And they both see this yes. craft. Yes. And that's it's so fascinating to hear her describe what we now know to be called instantaneous acceleration. Right. You hear her talk about it just shot up into the sky and there was no really term for that, you just have that description like, oh, it just, you know, it disappeared. It shot up into the sky. and Instantaneous acceleration. acceleration. And that's one of the characteristics that you look for now in your classic type of UFO, you know, slash UAP sighting is that acceleration. They were just be sitting there and then, boom, boom. it takes See, off. See, I'm more used to deceleration trauma. You don't want that. <laughs> is it- Cement poisoning. Oh, no, don't you don't want that either. Oh, gosh, no. But that's, you bring up a good point, Karen, in that she's with a pilot, her husband. She has a background in aviation. They see this, and it kind of reminds you, doesn't it, of the 2004, we mentioned the Nimitz. It reminds you of that video. Yes. And that, because that had the instantaneous acceleration. Right, exact same thing. And I love how there's rainbows involved and white light and, right. you know, everything's so beautiful. She's going to talk about love and light. I love it. It's This is one of my favorite episodes. And isn't it fun? It is. It's so much, such fascinating. And, and this, I think, is going to be one of my favorite episodes as well because there's so much detail that we have from the person that it happened That's to. That's right. Right. First-hand you know, account. Yes. And we always try to find those first-hand accounts. Sometimes it's very hard sometimes, or a lot of times, really. I would say 90% of the time, the people don't want to do inter- interviews. No. So there's not a lot of first-hand account. We do have them from time to time, but a lot of times it's just someone talking about it. The or way us she, talking about it. The way she talks about her experience on this other planet is like when people describe their near le- near death experience mm. when they see the bright light and they're yeah. just engulfed in love. They feel this unwar- you know, this warm, unrelenting love and light. Yeah, it's a good point. You're and gonna it's he- almost exactly like that. Yeah, you're gonna hear her. You might make that connection yourself as you hear her talk about that in more detail here in in a minute. And you know, I love it too, <laughs> just before we get back into it, is her 
the way she speaks, her diction, yeah, yeah. the way she carries herself. No ums and ahs either. No. She's just, you know. It's very noble. Yeah. It's like it's like hearing it's the, like queen. the queen. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the queen saw and had an alien love child. <laughs> We're not saying the queen had one. You never know. Maybe it's Prince Charles. I don't know if you've seen those ears, but oh. no. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, t- I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I had to. There's, there's a well, lot with the queen this week with the Jubilee. Jubilee. Yes. But now, now, getting back onto the subject here, those somewhat routine sightings turned into something a little bit more when you start to hear her account. A true close encounter, if you will, as Elizabeth details her first face-to-face encounter with an alien named Akin. Now, it's spelt like Akon, which you might confuse with, like, the rapper, but it's 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 actually, you'll hear her say Akin. Akin. And back in the 1950s in South Africa, that's, uh, the Zulus saw what she called the lightning bird. Yeah, her sky. sister called her. She said, hey, the Zulus saw that lightning bird in the sky again. So she piled all her dogs and everybody into her, what is she, she was driving some sort of a... Little car, yeah, anyway. like you know, one of those 1950s cars yeah. you have in South Africa. And, <laughs> and she took off toward where the Zulu said they saw the lightning bird. I felt this wonderful feeling. It makes you shiver, and it was the most beautiful feeling of warmth, of love enfolding you. I can almost burst into tears when I think about it. So suddenly I saw a flash in the blue, and I thought it could be a white bird. And then again I saw this flash in the blue sky. And then this enormous ship came from behind a cloud and came down and hovered about the height of the ceiling, some distance from me. And the long seeding grass of autumn was agitated and flattened by the tremendous force coming from her. And I felt this hot blast of air strike against my face and I couldn't move any further. It seemed to be an invisible wall. And I stood my ground and I watched the ship. I looked at her and there were three portholes facing towards me. Then I forgot about observing the ship because I could see a man standing at the center porthole. Despite the brightness of the ship herself, she was shining in a very bright blue-white light that emanated from the skin of the ship herself. But despite that, I could see clearly through the porthole. This, I could see he was a tall man, mm-hmm. and he stood there with his arms folded across his chest and just looked back at me. And I stood my ground and looked back at him, and I was fascinated by his face. <laughs> And again, apologies for the scratchy, scratchiness. Love at first sight. Yes. But it was, you're right, wasn't it? They have a porthole. I did not know that UFOs had portholes. And you know what I love, too? If you catch the way she says she, yeah. which is talking about the aircraft, you right. know, that tells you right there her background. Because right. you always talk about when you talk about a ship or an aircraft, the pilot or someone in the know would refer to it as she. So you know she has a background. She's just fluently saying she when she's talking about the UFO. Right. And so it's little I things like that. I love to hear her talk. It's almost like she's reading a sonnet as the grass was. She's so <laughs> the descriptive. Autumn grass blown down. She wow. paints a great picture. And I like, she does. I like to apologize to our British listeners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did not mean to offend you by talking about Prince Charles' ears. I'm sorry. Well, they're, they are satellite dishes. That <laughs> oh, no. See, now radi- you have to apologize. They, they, they receive radar signals from the... <laughs> because actually, a shout out to our British listeners, actually. Yeah. I'm glad that, that we said that because um, we do have listeners all over the world with this podcast. And I know that sounds crazy. And trust me, it's crazy to us. Well, with Britain, the way that this is taken off. really a hot spot. Oh, You've with got Rendlesham Forest and things yeah. like that. Absolutely. And Stonehenge. And you have all the crop circles and everything that happened there. Well, yeah, it's definitely a great place for this podcast to land. Yes. So thank you uh, to everyone. Everybody around the world, and especially in England, who's been consuming the show. We love you guys. And long live the Queen. Long live the Queen. I think she's listening. Go. Maybe she is. Maybe she listens to the podcast. I think she does. Now, will you talk about love at first sight, Karen? Because at that point, Elizabeth became obsessed. No pun intended. Her name is Elizabeth here in the story. Oh, she- <laughs> <laughs> Not. <laughs> Was not planned. Not Elizabeth II, okay? No, 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 no. Elizabeth Clark. She became obsessed with this idea of getting on the ship with Akin, and she wanted to be with him and, and learn more. And then one day she went to the top of a large hill where she found the UFO and Akin almost seemingly waiting for her. It was just sitting there. 
He knew. He knew. And she knew that this was her time. So she got on the ship. And later, she gave some fascinating descriptions of what that was like. She says that she saw what looked like a steel type of furniture and a crystal type of viewfinder lens. Now, before I I continue, I want to point out the steel type of furniture because that struck me when I heard her say that. If you think back to our episode uh, detailing Bob Lazar, who, and again, you can always go back and find that episode. I think it's somewhere in in the 20s. Bob Lazar was the guy who says that he worked at one of these secret offshoot military sites of Area 51 where he was hired to reverse engineer at some of the spacecraft. And one of the things he talked about was seeing this weird type of steel furniture. And that Bob Lazar spoke about that. Yeah. In the 80s and the 90s, and in, in his interview where he did in, like, well, I guess, what, five years ago or so. Well, you obviously read her book. Uh, it's either that <laughs> or. Or they had, they saw the same type of things. Yeah, it's amazing because again, this is the fifties. Yeah, and Balbazar didn't work supposedly, according to his account, on those bases until the late eighties. Right. So, just an interesting coincidence, I guess. Right, if you want to call it a coincidence. So now she she gets on there. She sees this furniture, this crystal type of viewfinder lens, and and Atkin told her, "Go ahead and look through it." Oh. As they started to depart Earth, she's now flying away. And he told her that they use this lens to get this, to watch and listen to the human race (laughs) and that they can actually understand all of Earth's languages. That is so cool. How wild is that? It's she like also babble on steroids. Right. I mean, they have this type of understanding, according to Elizabeth's description of this, this happening. So now imagine this. Okay, She's flying away. She's gone. She's off planet Earth. Uh, what is it, Alpha Centauri? Yes. And so Alpha Centauri, I, I think she described it a little bit or does describe it a little bit in, in some of the sound we play. But just in case, um, it's it's a tri-star system. And one of the stars is the closest to Earth, actually, of, of all the stars. Because she describes, and we'll get into that a little bit, but she described being taken onto a mothership, actually, as they continued through space. And she said that that ship was an enormous cigar-shaped craft. Now, again, the cigar-shaped craft is one of the famous descriptions of UFOs, right? Yeah. You have the triangle, you have the or cigar. the tic-tac. The tic-tac, and, of course, the famous flying saucer it- itself. But she's talking about the cigar shape before it was really being publicized. And she's describing it as, as this. So she gets on board, and she actually sees a lot of other beings on this mothership. It's like a floating city. Hmm. That's how she kind of describes it. She said it had a type of blue grass throughout the ship on the floors. No, that's just the Boise-Idaho football team. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Boise State, they play on the blue turf. Maybe they got the idea. I don't know. I don't know. And she even saw a waterfall (gasps) on the ship. Yeah, their water is amazing. How about that, huh? Yeah. So according to her, Atkins said that their race has been around for millions of years mm-hmm. and even inhabited Venus at one point. Cool. Which maybe they knew Valiant Thor. <laughs> there was, he was from the inner part of Venus. He was inside, that's right. Valiant Thor, uh, the part of the Venusians who came down to Earth in another previous episode. He was episode. good looking too. That's I'm, right, I'm yes. she didn't hit, up, hit him up too. That's a good point. Valiant Thor, we had the pictures of him on our oh, blog actually. Super good looking. Very handsome guy. He worked in the Pentagon in the 50s and 60s. So you can go back and listen to that episode. I think it was uh, government workers, alien workers. I forget the name of the episode, but you can find it. And so now she describes that Akin told her that they lived in a solar system surrounding the star Proxima in Alpha Centauri. So the, the this kind of stars they, they get this starts to get a little heady here, okay? And I apologize. I hope you're still following along. Yeah, dumb it down, Steve. I'm trying. But it's important to note that Proxima is the closest star to Earth well, at that- 4.3 light years away. So it's possible to travel there? or if Not, you have the not with our technology. Not yeah. with ours, right. No. <laughs> it would take a while. We can't even get to the moon. So you have Alpha Centauri out there, TriStar System, and then you have th- this Proxima, this star, which I guess the planet that she was going to, which, by the way, is called Meton, was orbiting this Proxima star. Okay. And she says that uh, it's one of seven planets, actually, orbiting Proxima. And on a side note, I also found it fascinating how she described the the propulsion 
of their ships and how those work and how they're able to move at such incredible speeds. And you actually hear her talk about it right here. Because her ship is powered by light in different frequencies, which is electromagnetism, electricity, gravity. Uh, we call it electrogravitics, propulsion or power system. So there's no need, in fact, to use fossil fuels at all? Not at all, no. Can you, oh, that makes everyone happy. I never do this, Karen, but can you play maybe like the first five seconds of that again? Because his ship is powered by light in different frequencies, uh-huh. which is electromagnetism, electricity, gravity. Uh, we call it electrogravity. There you go. So I wanted to point that out because it's that blew my mind when I heard her say that. Again, this is a woman who's describing something that happened in the 50s in an interview 30 years later in the 80s talking about something that we were talking about a few weeks ago in our sacred geometry episodes and tesla wanted to harness this yes and that's there, a coming episode by the way there are people on earth that you know kind of know this yes and they're trying to make it happen but we're just stuck on fossil fuels this blew my mind because to me that was such a validation that 5 second clip was such a a like an aha moment mm-hmm. when i first heard that because it really pointed to everything that we've been talking about and haven't even talked about yet, by the way. Yeah, the frequency part of it, the sound Frequencies part. and We're sound. We're going to talk about that. Yes, yeah, so that's coming in a future episode, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, so it's taking a long time to produce that episode. But it, it connects to what you're going to hear maybe in a few weeks, which is how the ancient Egyptians were taught, maybe taught to use frequencies and sound to make the pyramids and things like that, and to move these heavy things, and how Tesla was using frequencies, and he was able to tap in to the universal frequency and create energy from it, and how he found how to use all these things, and how sound is actually being used to move objects. Yeah. Now, in present day, they're oh. finding out how they can use sound and certain frequencies to levitate things. And with gravity... I think the whole thing is like a whole wrapped up in one big package. Right. So you have all of that wrapping up again. We're going to get into that in much more detail in a few weeks. But and oh, no, magnetism, not and magnet, right? Magnetism. And we've gotten into some of those things when it comes to you know the golden ratio and sacred geometry. We touched on those things. So it blew my mind when I heard her talk about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's everything we've brought up. It's right there. Yeah. It's this a is how they used bite. it. Frequencies and sound and and electromagnetism and using this anti-gravity to put it all together and that creates a super propulsion without any fossil fuels and that's why, Karen, you don't hear anything. You always talk about people, oh, well, it was silent and you don't see any trails. Right. You know, think about, again, back to the Nimitz video in 2004 that we see, the Tic Tac video that they always show on the news. There's no trail. There's no sound. No contrail, no sound, right? So this is how could it be something in aviation, right? Exactly. So the way that she describes their propulsion is to me a complete validation of everything we've always thought about how these things move. So I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but I just found That's it right. so fascinating. I'm reel you back in. Yes, thank you. Okay, I know, and we're going long here today, so I'm sorry. Now, now we're past all that. It's about that point where we get to the planet Meton. And where the relationship begins. Now, Meton is where Akin lives, according to Elizabeth. And what I found so intriguing about this particular story, one of the things anyway, was her experience was unlike many other accounts that we've heard. You know, like a Jesse Long, where these hybridization experiments are usually forced on them. It was terrible. It was a oh, terrifying yeah, experience. He was screaming. For him. Oh, it was terrible. When you hear the regression that he had in the, his uh, hypnotic state. But in her case, this is a mutual relationship. It was actually, if you will, a real interstory love story. Interstellar love story. Yes. We, you know, we were talking about magnetism. He had his own kind of magnetism, hey don't now. you know? <laughs> the thing I have a problem with is, um, unfortunately, the audio gets really squirrely. But um, Yeah, bear with us. She, um, she doesn't explain how the deed is done. Maybe she doesn't get into the well, nuts and bolts of it. Listen, Karen, she's I, old fashioned. I, inquiring minds want to know what she, happened. She doesn't kiss and tell, okay? Old fashioned, you know. Yeah, but we need to know, you know, 
<laughs> technically what happened. You need to know. You want to know. But she was brought up in a different time. She didn't want to get into the finer details. You know, now we want to hear all the juicy stuff. Well, I think the more details would make it more believable if I knew exactly mm-hmm. how it worked. I mean, she gets into how she gave birth and that it was, you know, a lovely experience. And she was older at the time. Well, speaking and of that. speaking of how lovely the sheets were and the linens. <laughs> She did, actually. You're right. Good God. Well, speaking of all that, it is time to get into that portion of the show. So after some time together on the planet Meton, because she did, she spent some time there. I mean, she was gone. She was off Earth. And they did conceive a child together. And she gave birth to her alien human hybrid son on the planet Meton. And I think... And I think... uh, um, Is it Aton? Atkin. Atkin. That was his only son. That's right. With a human, anyway. Oh, that oh, that we yeah, know of. Right. Do we have a little bit of her description? No, so I've cut out all the rest scratchy. of the song because it's okay. so annoying. A little too so scratchy. I was going to let you. Uh, sure. Be her now. Absolutely no problem. <laughs> so, but she did. She she described um, being on the planet, the childbirth. It was kind of fascinating to listen to her talk about the the childbirth aspect of her experience because she talks about it being a very peaceful. Uh, experience on like and she had kids on earth right she had two right so she was able to compare her earth birthing experience to her interstellar birthing experience and the way that she it's kind of night and day I mean she talks about this um, the sense of calm the sense of peace and almost a rapture state uh, while she was in giving birth no pain they gave her this water that basically made it a flawless birth. And she said it was like one of the most beautiful experiences of her life. Then they put the baby in the water. That's right. So, And this water is like cleansing. There's no soap yeah. or any kind of like... They, they don't use soap, no. right? Then she, she actually said that specifically, that there was no soap. It was just kind of like this natural cleansing mineral water. And I know this sounds crazy, but again, this is just her, this is her account. Yeah. Um, that we're relating to you. No drugs. No, no after drugs. Effects, nothing. No soap. Uh, everything is a natural, like it's a mineral water. It cl- it cleanses and heals. Yeah. So they put the baby right in there, and the baby's doing great. It's right. It's it's amazing how she is able to describe all this and all the things that she talks about. She also says that um, there's a, just an abundance of everything on Meton. Mm. There's no overpopulation, but everything you need is there. There are animals, and they're actually taken from Earth, some of them. Yeah, But they're allowed to roam. They're not, like, kept in the house as a pet, right? Right. And then, um, and she does believe that other people from Earth have visited the planet, but she has not met them. Okay. Yeah, she she did bring that up. And, look, I mean, on a ship that big that she talks about with the mothership, I mean, it's like a floating city the way that she described it. So, I mean, she gets into this relationship. She falls in love with an alien (laughs) They have a child together. We don't know how, but they do. Uh, but, and she <laughs> says love, above all, is what is on this planet. It's um, Love is above all creation. God is light. You know, So the God that we have here is more of a humanized God. There, God is light. Light is God. And I found that interesting because the reporter asked her, again, I would love to play more sound to this, but it just it gets very scratchy and overmodulated, so we're just going to relate it to you. Um she asks her, what about religion? What about belief? What do they believe on Meton or on these other planets around the Alpha Centauri system? And she says that. She says, it's all love. It's and light, just, yeah. It's just pure love, and it's and it's light, and it's being one with creation. And she's, she mentions God, and she mentions, you know, like you said, God is light, the light is God, the love is there, and everybody lives in peace and harmony. She describes a utopia, essentially. Well, but remember, was it... Uh What's his name? The it's handsome Valiant Thor. Valiant Thor came yes. and he told him, "Look, That's right. I can direct you how do you can have love and everything will be peace." And the, and humans on Earth are like, "We don't want peace." Honestly, I would right? say they said no. They said no. It what? But this was the CIA or the Pentagon. Yeah, I mean, right? The Pentagon. Different He's like, "I can help you to get to this point." That's right. And, and they didn't want it. If there's any episode, I would say to go back and listen to that would connect to this one inadvertently. Connects to it is the one with Valiant Thor. Um, I think it's it's in the 20s. Somewhere. He tried to bring what's on Meton to Earth, and they did not want it. Exactly, and it's so funny because if you when you start to connect the dots, which we always do as we start to hear these stories and realize how they all connect, the the uh, how Elizabeth talks about Akin, how they used to live on Venus, and now they live on Meton, and 
Valiant Thor lived inside of Venus, according to his accounts. So they, it sounds like they have the same philosophy. They lived on the same planet. They have the same philosophy of being one with God, being one with creation and light and love and living in like it's utopian society where there's- No fossil fuels. I mean- No disease. We, yeah, no disease, right. I mean, she talks about that. No, there's there no baby formula shortages. There's an no. abundance of everything. No, <laughs> no overpopulation. Right. And, and she talks about all these things where- it's happening on Meton, and it also, this is how Valiant Thor described things in his Venusian culture inside of Venus. So it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Valiant Thor didn't come to the Pentagon until the 1960s. And you have this woman who's describing, there's no account of Valiant Thor. That story didn't come out until about 20 years ago. So now you have this woman talking about, or 20, 30 years ago, if I've... Apologies if I get the timeline wrong on his story coming out. But she didn't know about that. No. She didn't know the story, you know, what people said that Valiant Thor, this supposed being from the inside of Venus, was talking about. But yet they have the same stories. Imagine that. And the same philosophies. We, How could that be? <laughs> imagine we went back in time and we walked into a cave and there was a caveman. And we started to communicate with him about our smartphones and how we are able to fly in the air and all of our technology right now <laughs> that caveman would be like no i stick with my rock and my fire <laughs> right you know and that's kind of it's like i can't even deal with what you're talking about and that's i think what happened here when valiant thor came to earth and the people were like no we're good so we're good i got my spear i don't i don't need to, to your your peace and harmony and no. your freedom of disease so, yeah, that's it's just amazing how these philosophies and these accounts, really, these details kind of match each other. So, again, I would say go back if you want to listen to any episode that inadvertently connects to this, it would be that one about Valiant Thor. And I guess we have to wait for AI to exceed humans' <laughs> mental capacity, and then maybe the, the AI will be able to then wrap their heads around what's happening on Miton and other, you know, well, much more highly technical technologically advanced worlds as long as it doesn't end up like uh you know terminator and the yeah. ai comes after us then then we should be that okay happen but they are projecting that that's going to happen yeah that's that's, that's pretty wild I stuff actually i hate to tell you oh no i know um it was okay i wanted to go back and find the episode for you i was doing that while we were talking it's episode 16 so if you want to go back and listen to what we're talking about with a man named valiant thor and suppose an alien that's episode 16 alien agents and the government if you want to go back and listen to that episode, because it really is pretty interesting how her details yeah, and her descriptions match. It. Yep. It's it's kind of mind-blowing, actually. Now, among many other questions floating through your head right now, one of the biggest ones might be, what happened to her son? Yeah, what was his name? Well, she, she said, I think Aiden, Aiden. she ended up naming him. Um well, you know, what happened? Did they have a relationship after she was brought back to Earth? Did she ever get to see him again? Well, she does say that he was brought once. Um, Atkin brought him once to Earth. She got to see him. But after that, it was Why didn't she fun. stay on Meton? That's my question. If it's so wonderful, why you go back to why are you going back to Earth where I, it sucks? It's a fair question. I mean, maybe she felt a sense of duty to Earth, to her kids on Earth. She felt like she had to come back. She had business here. Oh, and maybe tell the story. Yeah. Well, Share actually, the story. Yes, I'm glad you said that because she does say she did say that in one of her uh, answers. She felt that she was sent by Akin to come back. You just rung my bell there to come back and tell the story, right? And make people believe and give this account. So she says she wouldn't change it for anything. No. This experience that that she went through. I mean, what did Meetan look like to her? Can you recount what she said? Just As a lot of nature, uh, the mountains. It's like a Garden of Eden, undisturbed, right? Pretty much, which is really kind of fascinating to me because not only do we have what ends up being a real-life, if you believe her account, a real-life alien-human love story is what this turned into. I mean, it's like a Nicholas Sparks novel with an alien and a human. <laughs> <laughs> but Again... We have no idea how it works, but whatever. Yeah, well, that's, you know, no, she didn't want to kiss and tell. But aside from her interplanetary love story, Karen, and the birth of her hybrid child, she did have other things to say about the planet Meton, since you were asking about that, and Aiken society as a whole. She said there's no disease, like we talked about, no roads, of all things. That's right. They actually travel in the air, Through and the they're air. smaller crafts. It's like Doc Brown in Back to the Future too. Right. <laughs> no monetary system. Whoa, really? No, nothing. 
a completely different type of society than what we're used to here on Earth. So no quid pro quo. Nothing. No violence. No politics. Everyone lives in this utopian society. I go according there. To her. Sounds wonderful, doesn't Please, it? Please, why would you ever leave? <laughs> she spoke about the religion aspect and their belief system, like we told, like we, you know, we were just telling you about. And according to her, they don't have the organized religions, but instead they're just one with nature and with light, and in turn that makes them one with and God. Love. So was this? I mean, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, this is just me thinking here. This has nothing to do with what Elizabeth said. Um, in, in, in her accounts, this is my biblical side, my maybe, theological may, side. Like, maybe they in. didn't have an Adam and Eve that ate an apple. That's off it. The tree of life. That's why I'm screwed thinking. everything up with. <sighs> That's what I'm thinking. Original sin. Okay. <laughs> That's what happened. Again, my theological side tells me. I think back to the creation story. We in the would book have of Genesis. had that if Adam and Eve hadn't screwed it is, all up. Is this what was intended for us? Yes. Did God make these different? societies and races on different planets throughout the universe and set them up the same way and said, let's see which one of you screw it up. Oh, yeah. Well, hello. <laughs> and Earth screwed it up, but Meton got it right. I don't know. Is this what was in store for us? This Because this sounds like the Garden of Eden, the way that she describes it. It's... I think I you're know. right. I think you're right. I don't know. That's just that's just my own wild Did I theory. tell you that they found um, Adam and Eve's corpses? I did not hear that, no. They, they dug them up. Did you know how they knew it was Adam and Eve? How'd they know, Karen? No belly buttons. What are you saying? I'm sorry. <laughs> just absolutely dead silence. Yeah, all right. Move on. Fair enough. Also, outside of the no belly buttons, interestingly enough, she did have something to say about one of our... Favorite subjects, what is the government covering up about the existence of oh. aliens and other planets? It is worth remembering, again, I know we've mentioned it a million times, but this interview did take place in the early 1980s, okay? So a lot of the government cover-up stuff, there was talk about that in the 80s, but not as much as you heard in the 90s and in the modern day. Well, the military wasn't allowed to talk about it. No, not at all. I mean, there isn't disclosure or at least a little bit of at least open discussion like you're having now. And she says... Believe it or not, Karen, that there is government cover-up. I mean, active cover-up. Like they they focus on covering it up because they don't want to let the technology and all these truths that she's describing, that she says is truth, get out. She doesn't want people to know about these things. And listen, we've talked about before in previous episodes um, this interplanetary kind of intergalactic defense system. We've talked about in, in some different episodes, different accounts of people talking about these things. And we had, a, I think it was a former Israeli defense minister who was on his way to retirement. He was like in his 80s. And he's like, yeah, all this stuff is real. And, See? And there's a... Uh, uh, Deathbed confessions. That's right. That was episode 39, I believe, if you want to go back. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Episode 36. I keep plugging all these different episodes. I'm making your head spin. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, But we have, we've talked about... You know, these guys, these different government workers who come out later in life and say, oh, yeah, all this stuff, oh, is yeah. we're covering it up. Yep. So her account in the 1980s matches what we heard in the past 10 years from these high up government officials who have said, yeah, this has all been a born big cover up. So take that for what it's worth. But she said in this interview 40 years ago that, yes, absolutely, the government is covering these things up. So I don't She's know. She's no crackpot. I'll tell you that. It's a, it's a fascinating story, isn't it? It is. I love it. And this is why we started doing the podcast, because right. Stephen over there was into all this for years and years, and he kept like this whole list oh, of got my list. subjects and stuff, <laughs> and he's not just pulling the stuff out of the air. I mean, if you're going to start try to do a podcast about UAPs, good luck. But he <laughs> he has been acquiring this information for years and years and years, and now with it all the disclosure being made by the government and, you know, the CIA, they're all involved now. Yeah. Um, he's able to bring it to light. And it's just perfect and not, timing. And not be thought of as a crazy person. No, it's, per- <laughs> it's perfect timing. It, it has worked out. And we thank everybody who's been listening to it. Um, just some behind-the-scenes stuff to say thank you because, we, you know, look, there's a lot of corporate things that happen behind the scenes, and it's being noticed, and it's because of you. This podcast is being noticed by a lot of people in some higher positions here within the corporate world that, that we live in personally. And, and they can't believe it. I, I can't believe it. 
because it has really been exploding. It goes up and up and up every single week. And but remember, it's, it's you. We're it's just up so to grateful you. to you. It's for you. You take the information. Do yes. it, do with it what you will. Believe it or not, whatever. That's right. And the bottom line is, we're just happy that you're enjoying it one way or another. So. Thank you to everybody who's been listening and, you know, who continues to listen or maybe this is your first time listening and now you want to go back and listen to all the seven different episodes that I plugged throughout this this one. I mean, but what do you make of all this? I, it sounds completely fantastical. It sounds made up, but her, the way that she has these details and how they match different stories from different people that we've talked about in different timelines I can't deny the fact of all these different coincidences and how they line up. It sounds ridiculous. I'll be the first one to tell you that. And her story sounds completely ridiculous. Well, it does have hole, it has holes in it. Yeah. Because we don't know what happened to the sun. We don't know if the sun is on the same type of aging timeline or if he lives two, three hundred Earth years. You know, we don't know. Yeah. But it's, we, it's. Do we know how she died? Just old age. Oh, okay. But I mean, she it's, just coasted up to the curb. Yeah, that's all. But, I mean, at the same time, the detail that she gives, I, I can't deny no, it. you can't deny it. So, it's, it's really incredible. That said, uh, the one thing that she wanted to leave in her message at the end of the story, she says overall, everything that she spoke about, the one thing she wanted to get across, and that she felt that uh, Akin wanted her to get across, was, on her remaining days on Earth, was to give the message of hope. That's, you know, it's not all hope is lost. As bad as things get, there's always hope out there for a better tomorrow. And that's that's how she closed out her interview. So I thought that was uplifting. It is very uplifting. You know? I mean, anytime you put hope, love, and light in the same sentence, that's what you're going to get. Is just, you know. Lord knows we can use some of those things uh, these right? days. Exactly. That's, that's for sure. All right. So, Karen, yes. now that we have digested that one and... We're going to need some time to uh, yeah. ponder on that. So time. in the meantime, we'll get ready for you for next week on part three. We'll finish out the Alien Hybrid Agenda series with part three next week about uh, people who claim that they have actually uh, parented these hybrid children. Ah. And they have met them. On Earth? Or? Have communication with them. Well, you'll find okay, out. Okay. <laughs> it's all going to be part of... That new episode next week, that'll be episode 46 on UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Until then, make sure to go on and subscribe and download and rate the podcast on Apple and Spotify, all those good places on 850WFTL.com where you can find our blog page there. Just search out the podcast section of the website and you'll see UAP. You'll see it all there. Yeah, if you want to go back in time to terrestrial radio. it's <laughs> Everything's there for you if you'd like to catch up on some of these episodes they're all very fun, and we love doing them for you. So until next time when we do the next one, it's Karen Curtis over there, Stephen Diener over here. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks.